Hello, this is Chris, and you're listening to the Global City Mission Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Joey Dermeyer, Mobilization Catalyst with GCMI in Atlanta, and by Gabe and Sarah Brazel, GCMI Mission Catalyst in Philadelphia. In our last episode, we talked with Gabe about his experiences in cross-cultural ministry, both in New York City and his transition to Philadelphia. As a reminder, we are now posting on our twice per month summer schedule, so make sure you're subscribed so you get all the notifications. All right, so we're, we're jumping back in with uh, Gabe Brazel from Philadelphia, GCMI Mission Catalyst in Philly, and joining him is his wife, Sarah. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about cross-cultural ministry in large global urban places like New York and Philly and what that's like as a married couple, as a, uh, as a, you know, family, you know, with three kids um, living in often way too small apartments and trying to make that work. So uh, Gabe, tell us, um, you, you moved to New York, you already had uh, one kid, correct? Am I yeah. remember that right? Yeah, I think I said, yeah, exactly. On the last episode, I said that, um, the last time I was on, we had our daughter, uh, and she was one years old. I think at the time okay. we made that transition. Wow. So and her <laughs> born in Missouri, but you know, she, she didn't get to realize that really. she's a New Yorker or as close right as you can through. get. Yeah. Right and Absolutely. so now you have three. So two more while you lived in New York. Um, <laughs> So, so tell us about that. Like, you know, that that's, you, you mentioned in the last episode, the kind of like the culture shock of going from small town, Missouri to, to New York city, you know, one of the most populated cities in the world. Um, but, you know, going from small town, you know, Midwest to New York city with kids into small apartments, like tell us a little bit about that experience. So I think for one thing, um, because of the fact that we moved to New York City, we hardly ever had to use a car seat, um, you know, because we didn't have a car. Yeah. But I, <laughs> overall, I think that the uh, that that first transition going from Missouri life hmm. to this bustling place where, where not only are, are we now in a city of 8 million plus people, not only are we in a city that, that I said that we just discovered every day to be more and more international, but our lifestyle was a lifestyle that was trying to blend and meet and, and join all of these different international people groups, Albanians, our, our neighbors from, from Morocco, Bangladesh, etc., into our home and into the way we do life. And we were trying to blend and into their life to, to find some way to meet with and connect with that world that is, you know, as we always say, the world that is also next door. Um, and so for us m- moving, we left our, our family, we left our families behind uh, several thousand miles or 1700 miles. But in New York, we were met with these internationals who had oftentimes left their families behind very far Mm. behind many of my friends had nieces and nephews or or maybe even grandchildren that they were not getting to see at all and so whenever they would come into our house and they would see a child it was like oh my goodness let me dote upon your child like yeah let me dote upon your child i know that um for, I remember talking with Jared when we first moved to New York and, and one thing that he said, um, and, and I think there's a lot of truth and there's a lot of uh, well intent behind it, but I also think I would probably push back on it just to an extent, is this idea that, that your kids are going to be like one of the greatest inroads mm-hmm. that you have to connect in with people? Mm. Because people like children. People want to talk to kids. People will engage children when they oftentimes won't engage adults. I remember going to the playground um, as a young father and getting Olivia to say, hey, see that man wearing the hat with the big beard? Go say hi to him. And she'd be like, okay, toddle over and like, hi. I'm like, oh, hey, that's my daughter. What's your name? Oh, you're Rashid from Morocco. It's nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And then getting to 
talk to this guy and getting to meet his family. And like, yeah, it was really cool that because I had a daughter, it was easy for me to forge a connection and get to know him. And yet at the same time, like, like, I think there's, that's true. I think that you can't like yeah. kids interact and, and people will talk to kids. And yet at the same time, like, how much do I kind of want to put my kids out there for a ministry that I'm trying to do? How much am I going to mm. sacrifice some of maybe their personal boundaries? My, my kids growing up, like we recently um, fast forwarding to, you know, this year, we were having some Albanian friends from New York coming to visit us. And they were like, they're not going to pinch our cheeks, are they? They're not going to pinch our cheeks. <laughs> Albanian culture just like grabs the kids' cheeks and is like, ah, oh, I love you. I'm going to kiss you all over. I'm like, like, boundaries, boundaries. Like, and so I think that, that to an extent, um, I don't know. Do you, do you know what I'm saying, Sarah? Not using them? Yeah, like there's an extent where it's like, ab, ab, obviously and absolutely, I want my kids to be able to help build these connections if they're willing. But at the same time, when they're really little, like it, it just, it's kind of difficult. Yeah. I think like with one kid, it was not as difficult, but increasing them definitely added challenges. But I think with our um, being in New York with Olivia, our oldest one, the, there was one time because I had a transition um, to using a carrier with her. So she was just always riding on my back because you can use a stroller, but there's just not really a lot of space. Yeah. And there was one time that this guy from Yemen, right? He wanted to hold her because they love kids, but uh, Olivia definitely did not want him to hold her because she did not know him. And he tried mm. to pull her out of the carrier <laughs> and just, like, yank her out. And I was like, no, you can't do that. And he was like deeply offended because not only did I not let him hold my child, but I was a woman like telling him what to do. Wow. And I think though, for me, that moment was very like, and that wasn't too much after we had gotten there, it just kind of like hit me with, oh my gosh, like my kids are not okay with just being handed to people. And I think sometimes we live in a culture that like forgets that kids are humans and they have feelings and thoughts, hmm. and personalities. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was really challenging because when we walked into the culture of New York City, it was like, that's not how you view kids. You view them as like very sweet and like you want to hold them and kiss them all over. Even the if they, yeah, the international, yeah. even if they, like the kids don't know you. Mm. So I think we had to grow a lot in like, how do we be respectful to people, but also like, how do we be respectful to our kids? And that was a little bit tricky, especially since all three of them were like very different <laughs> and had different needs. So, yeah. Yeah, I can I can't imagine because again, like you said, I only have one, so I, I don't, you know. So she's her, right? But you guys have three, so each is unique, and they have their own different sort of personality. They have their own different sort of boundaries, sense, and one may be more open than the other. So imagine, yeah, walking through that. And one of the things I think about to me is we, you know, I'm sure people who maybe go on the mission field, they talk about that cultural shock, you know, and it's. And it's weird almost to hear you guys talk about cultural shock inside the United States, because I mean, it's weird, but I mean, it happens even for, for Midwesterners moving to New York, that in and itself has got to be crazy. But then also to na navigate that as, uh, you know, inside, you know, America. And, and, and so that, that fascinates me um, about what was that like for you guys, especially for you, Sarah, as a, as, as a woman, and you were talking a little bit about it as a mom, but also as a woman, you're like, here I am, I'm outside of my hometown. I'm in this new city. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing cultural shock. What, the, what was it like for you guys? How many, like, what was the conversations at night for you guys? Was it like, I don't know if I can, this is just too weird for me or what? <laughs> what was that like? I think the hardest part for me in the beginning was not even knowing that it was culture shock. Like mm. I had no idea what was wrong with me or why I was so like confused or exhausted or why certain things would just really upset me. And back in that, like that time that all those years ago, I really just kind of like, I was submersed into a culture of missionaries mm -hmm. and I was not like, that wasn't what I was going to do. I was going to be a therapist. Gotcha. And so then when I was surrounded by all of these people who are very like excited and this is the right way to do things, mm -hmm. 
I just kind of was overwhelmed by like, oh, I have to get it together and be this like perfect missionary wife. And then I think Gabe had a little bit of that too. And so you add like the pressure of the missions organization, but then you have all of these Muslim people that um, we're meeting for the first time and like kind of trying to get to know their culture and the pressure of like, oh, I am a runner. And so I have on like tank tops and short shorts and my husband is standing by this tree talking to a Muslim guy when I happened to run by. And like, that was a point of tension for us because it was like, on one hand, the, I don't even know if the people like knew that I was his wife, but Gabe knew. And so it was just like, oh my gosh, like you can't dress like that. And so just like kind of even navigating through our, and we were like 21 and 22. So we yeah. didn't have a lot of values and morals that we had developed, but definitely like being surrounded by hundreds of cultures was pretty confusing. And at that point we were like the white Midwestern people who didn't even know we had a culture. Yeah. With like, Oh, the way we do things is not normal. Yeah. I, I think the, that thing you just said, even about like the, you know, wearing shorts and tank top and running. that's one thing I think that's is important where, you know, on, on this podcast, we're not only talking about and talking to maybe future catalysts with GCMI or pastors or people who, you know, are trying to figure out, Hey, how do I engage my community? But it is things like, okay, yeah, you go to the Muslim restaurant that's, you know, operated by Muslims and yeah, you, you dress appropriately. And, you know, you obviously don't order a beer while you're there, et cetera. And you check off these things, but as those relationships build and as your families do get to know one another, if they do see your daughter who's in high school wearing short shorts and a tank top or whatever, like, where does that, where, like, how do you end up having those conversations? Because we're, we're inviting ourselves into these deeper places, into these, into these deeper relationships with someone that yes, is human. And we need to recognize this as human. That is not that much different than we are. They're not this foreign other. And yet right, yeah. they do come from a different culture. They do have different morals and standards. And, and so they don't have the training, and, like they're not aware of like, oh, maybe we should be respectful to someone else's culture. Sure. <laughs> right. They, just, they like, just know they're offended. They, you know, yeah. cause that's, you know, what's ingrained in how they were raised, yeah. how they grew up, what they believe. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, and so we're talking about shorts, but like there, I'm sure there's, there's <laughs> a lot of things, right. That would fit into the same category. Like how have you guys navigated that? Cause obviously we do, we want to be respectful. If we're, if we're trying to reach across these lines to reach these people, we want to be we want to be respectful of their culture and 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 limit the number of obstacles to those conversations to those relationships but at the same time like you don't want to like turn your family into this like perfect tool for good ministry mm-hmm. you want your family to be able to you know live their lives as god is calling them and so like how how have you guys i mean obviously there was some tension up front you know when you were first moving to New York, but like, how have you guys navigated that as the kids have gotten older, as you guys have, you know, been married longer. And cause I assume you moved to New York at 22, 21, you hadn't been married all that long at that point. No. So you, you guys were still figuring out each other and still figuring out what it meant to be a married couple. And now all of a sudden you're thrown into this deep end of, of ministry mm-hmm. and mission and New York city. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so yeah. How have you guys, uh, how have you guys, you been working on that, like what, I mean, for your own sake, but also for the sake of others, because we're all kind of digging through those same kind of things. Mm-hmm. Like what, what is appropriate and what is just too much? Like, you know. Yeah. Let me, let me jump in really quick with some of that for others. Um, and then we can, we can do a little more self like towards ourselves. I think that, uh, you know, in the last episode I did with you guys talking about, you guys said, you know, do you really ask these like direct questions? Where are you from? Uh, are there other people like, yeah. you know, from your group? And, and, and I think I said something about like, yeah, I ask those, but I think, you know, if it's through love and authenticity, like people kind of get that. And so I think that for us, you know, there's this thing where it's like, okay, if, if Muslim people are going to come into our house, then we have a dog, 
we're going to put the dog in the back or we're going to say, hey, we have a dog. Would you like us to put her in the back? Uh, because mm-hmm. if a dog licks your hand and you're Muslim, it's like pretty bad. And so right. we're trying to honor that. But we still have the dog. My friends are Muslim people that we are, are close with know that, you know, like we wear shorts and things like this. <laughs> but if you're in our house, then you come over and we are expecting you, then we're going to dress more modestly. We're not, Sarah doesn't cover her head. Um, right. But, but maybe wear pants, you know what I mean? And, if, <laughs> yeah. and if no tank top, like, and so finding this way to be like, yes, we are, we are doing this because we are honoring and respecting you and trying to make you feel more comfortable. Do we eat pork? Yes, we eat pork. But in this pan, I've never cooked pork. So if you come over, I'm making our meal. I'm cooking our meat in this pan because this is the halal pan. You sure. know? And I think that through that, like I had this and, and I think still, you know, some people are, are just inherently going to be offended. Like, oh, you wear shorts. I can't anything do with you. Maybe like I haven't found that to be true except for maybe like a couple of those early on relationships with people from like Yemen. But for the most part, I think that showing the intentionality and, and even explaining, like having that conversation, Oh yeah, we wear shorts. We don't, we don't really think that, you know, like in, in America, we don't see this as, as immodest. And, and if we need to have a big conversation about that, then maybe we will, but most likely that's just a distraction from, from Jesus and the gospel anyways. And yeah. so yeah. let's, let's talk about some good news um, as opposed to that. And so I would say that's kind of how we deal with that on the outward. Um, I just went to a, uh, a wedding for one of my Muslim friends and my daughter came with me. She's 10 now. So she's starting to become a woman. And I'm like, uh, live you know the wedding's going to be at the mosque and i know that guys and girls might have to be separate um and it's just me and her and, like her mom's not there i was like you know are, are you going to be okay being separate or i was like i'll call him and i'll find out and so i talked to my friend he's like yeah she can stay with you she's still a kid it'll be fine i was like does she need to cover her head what does she need to do and and my friend was like she's a kid she doesn't really need to cover her head um you know just it's okay. Like, it's fine. Like, you know, make an exception, whatever. Yeah. But I talked to my daughter and she's like, "Uh, well, like I'll I'll cover my head if they they want me to. And we get to the wedding and and we're able to be together, but she looks at the side that I'm going to be on and it's all guys and there's no other girls. And she's like, I'll I'll go over here with the women and children. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, that's scary. Like they don't, I don't even know if they speak English. Some of them did, but she's like, no, it's, it's okay. I'll do that. And so realizing like she chose to do a lot of those boundaries, even in and of for herself and then chose to enter into the mashid on the women's side and hang out with the women and children, even though she could have came and just sat with me. And so I think that even seeing that was kind of cool to be like, Oh, look, I didn't have to like force an oppress. I did tell her she had yeah. to wear a long sleeve dress. And she wasn't super happy about that, but then it was in Buffalo. And then once we got up there, she's like, I'm glad I'm wearing long sleeves. It's cold. Uh, but I think that like being able to see that because of the conversations and the way we've interacted with that, she's kind of able to make some of those choices was, was really neat for me. Yeah. I I assume that's not your first conversation with her about those kinds of things though. No, no. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, definitely not. So for us, how have we handled that? You think more as a unit? Um, We've had a lot of conversations and a lot of anger and a lot of like differing opinions. And we both like, I think we work well with each other and balance each other out, but I'm more like take care of myself first and he's more take care of others first. And so we kind of find like a middle ground. Um, But I will like, I will not pretend like it was easy or something that happened just naturally. Like it took a lot of intention and, you know, there were in the early days of New York, like to disclose a little bit, we were like not in a good place in our relationship. Um, I was like deeply 
hurt by the rules that were kind of being placed on me. I felt like within our marriage, and then I think Gabe was probably kind of hurt because he um, he viewed me as a reflection of himself, and so that was really hard for him to like if my wife doesn't present a, cer- a certain way or my kids don't present a certain way, then we are unacceptable. Um, and so we really had to navigate like through that because for me, it was like, I don't, I do care about respecting these people, but the way that I would show respect looks different than the way he would show respect. And I think we both wanted to be respectful, but they were at such like extreme ends of the spectrum that we just were not communicating. Um, and I think ultimately like through all of these conversations, we kind of had to um, differentiate or separate from each other. And I think Gabe started, um, which you may have a different opinion. I think he kind of started seeing how damaging it was to have expectations of me to perform a certain way. Um, this is like really kind of a disclosure. It doesn't feel that vulnerable to me, but it could for someone else. But there was one time in New York where um, I had just like, I was in the middle of a miscarriage. And so I was staying at home, uh, just like going through that process. Mm-hmm. And Gabe, I don't remember all the details, but he like went outside or his friend, his Italian friends like messaged him and was just like, very aggressive to him about me. Just like, why are you watching your kids or is your wife not letting you go outside or like, and he, he didn't dis. I don't think you told him exactly what was happening, but he did kind of like, I think it kind of was like, wait a second, this is crazy. Like if my wife is going through something and that was kind of the reaction we got often was like, if I was going through something and I wasn't upholding my like wifely duties, I was seen as this like, this really negative person, like why? And he was too, honestly, because for him, it was, he was being seen as um, kind of a pushover or not manly or like, why are you taking care of your kids instead of your wife? And I think both experiencing those negative reactions toward ourselves, even though we had a more egalitarian relationship was an eye opener a little bit to be like, man, we were both not only are we shaming each other in some ways, but we're also being shamed by others and we need to figure out something that is supporting both of us. And so through that, um, I feel like we were able to compromise a lot more and this did happen over like thousands of conversations and sharing (laughs) everything. (laughs) We have not had trouble with like communicating things. And I think that that was the, one of the first things we were told when we went to New York was, um, by, I think it was by Jared or by somebody else was like, make sure that you're communicating everything to each other. Otherwise you're going to find that like at the end of the year, one of you has had completely different experiences that the other one knows nothing about and you're not even going to know each other. And we really took that to yeah. heart. And I think that helped us navigate through like those rocky situations and get to that place where it's like, okay, instead of Gabe feeling like, he has to defend himself because his wife isn't showing up. Now he's like standing up for us as a unit and being supportive and telling, like creating his own boundaries of like, you know, we want to respect you, but you can't like talk about my family like that. It's not okay. And so I think I felt really um, empowered through that. And I felt like our relationship shifted to a better direction whenever he really started um, taking ownership of, like the way that we had been enmeshed with each other, where it was like, we have to be doing the same thing or showing respect the same way, et cetera. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I think that there's a, there's this idea. Um, and, and I think missionaries and past generations, and unfortunately still sometimes today and, and pastors, uh, Christians, like we, we emphasize the ministry in front of us at such a cost that sometimes the family suffers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Realizing that if I minister to my family and I do that at home and out in public, that's seen. And so when we moved to New York, like you said, Chris, earlier, you know, we were still kind of newly figuring out marriage. We're figuring out adulthood in and of that ourselves. All of a sudden we move into predominantly Muslim and Albanian cultures, which are very, um, 
like Patriot. typical, yeah, patriarchal. Yeah, patriarchal. Yeah. And, and I said patriotic. That's not what I meant. Hyper masculine. I remember I was carrying my uh, daughter on my back, and on Albanians was like, "Why are you carrying your kid? Your wife can do that." I was like, "She has like groceries," and he's like, "Oh, in Albania." The wife will carry the kid and the groceries. You walk mm. up front with your thumbs in your pockets, ready to defend in case someone attacks. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I do not supposed to carry anything. Like, That's supposed I, to actually happen. Albanians <laughs> are really funny. So like, I'm sure that there was some humor in that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, well, that's the idea. Like you're really not like your hands are supposed to be free. The wife does everything. Men are the one who are out in so many of these groups. And I know as many of our listeners are trying to figure out, you know, how do I meet Muslim women? They're like, I can't, I can't find them. And it's, it's a different culture. There's a different set of standards and expectations. And so I think that it did. I think that, you know, what some of what Shara said earlier, like there was a pivot point for myself where I realized like, okay, loving my family is a good witness too. And if I love my family in a way that they're like, wait, why is your wife, being lazy, you're home watching the kids. I don't understand. She's at the gym. Like what is even happening? But it's like, well, that's a different kind of love that maybe you haven't experienced or you don't like, it's, it's this kind of like sacrificial trade-off. Like we help one another. We support, I try to make her a better woman. She tries to make me a better man. It's, it's, it's different. And using that even as an opportunity, not to say, this is how you have to do relationship. This is how, but this is the beauty in that. The reason that I'm trying to be home with my kids instead of, you know, at the Albanian cafe every single night is because I really think it's important that I put my kids to bed, you know, four or five nights out of the week. Like I desire that. Right. Which twice, I'm totally going to be out here with you guys because I also desire to be with you guys. But like, that's a value that I have. And I think honestly, we talk about spiritual conversations like that lends itself to a lot of spiritual conversations because the why behind why do I want to be with my kids? Why do I want to be with my wife? Like I believe Christ created or God created the family system. And he told, you know, like the man is, um, the man is to, to lead and guide and, and be a part and empower his family. And those are things that I, I want to do. I want to train up my kids. Well, I want, um, yeah. And so I think even looking at that, as a way, I mean, that's not the motivating factor, but as right. a way that you love your family, I mean, you're, you're being a witness to your community. So, you know, the, the interesting thing I think about too, from uh, as a person like me, who was in the pastoral ministry for most, for pretty much my entire ministry career, it, it's weird. Cause we feel that same sort of burden of like, we have to be something and then people expect us to be that way. But at the same time, I, I, we're, we have this almost, we can have this disconnect of like, here's our public persona. And then I can be alone in my house, but you guys, because of the nature of the ministry, that did that front door doesn't always close to the, to, to the outside world because you're having them into your home at the same time. Right. And so that is interesting to me because the, yes, you want to have that private moment, but you're inviting people into the private lives. And that's where I think some of that challenge comes in. It's like, but this is in our home. This is the way we do things. You're in our home. You know, I, I don't know. Is that making sense? I, I, I just think randomly. I'm sorry. It just pops out. But, I, but, but in ministry, in our context, we can be like, whatever I do in my house is what I do. And you, you don't know it, honestly. And there's a lot of pastors. That's the way it is. You only see them on the platform. But in this style of ministry, you have to let people into your life. You're letting them in your home. And so you do have to navigate a lot more that what does, this is how our family operates. It may be different than your cultural oper- yeah. you know, way of doing it. And you guys have had to navigate some of that. It forces that authenticity for real, because they're going to yeah. notice like, like you can't live out of both sides really. Um, yeah. yeah. I think, I think the authenticity, right. Like, and, and you mentioned this when, when we were talking about, the, the, the kind of the blunt questions of just, you know, reaching into people's lives and asking them stuff about their own selves and their own culture. Um, Cause it sounds like on the, on the, the back end of, of all this learning, it sounds like you guys are finding success in ministry without jumping through crazy hoops of like, we've got to just be perfect in order to open a door. 
but it's because of that authenticity. You guys are, are authentically living out your lives in that, in that neighborhood, in that community, you know, whether it's to your neighbors across one cultural line or, you know, down the road to, you know, Albanians or, you know, um, Middle Eastern Muslims or, or whatever, like living that out authentically and, and how do we just represent Jesus and represent love? Um, there is success in that, right? Yeah, it's, it's weird because it almost sounds too <laughs> easy. Like, but I, our last year in New York, um, I was kind of in a, in a rut in ministry. And then I had, uh, I have a, a medical issue that I was really concerned about with, with uh, my heart. And I just had this deep-seated worry and fear. And there was like nothing super exciting that was like counteracting it. And so I just felt down. But I was like, you know, I'm a mission catalyst. I'm going to go out. I'm going to be with people. I'm going to proclaim the gospel. And I ended up being with uh, a guy from Peru who I used to play handball with. Wasn't the guy I was trying to end up with, but that's the night that I was like, and I was just, he's like, dude, you look down. I was like, yeah, I'm just so worried about this. And I just shared with him this burden and this worry. And I, you know, I don't know if I, trusted him with it or I just shared it because I just needed to vent. Hmm. But all of a sudden we just like our relationship just notched up like five levels because all of a sudden he's like, oh, you're not perfect. Like you're <laughs> you're you're broken too, like me. Yeah. Like holy cow, <laughs> let's talk about that. And I think that, you know, you're not always, we're not, we don't speak in absolutes. We're not always going to find that our vulnerability and our weaknesses push those conversations forward. But I think many times it's hard for people to engage with spiritual people who have it all together because yeah. it's like, wait, you have it all together. I don't. So I don't know if I can <laughs> carry on in that world, but yeah, like letting down some of that guard and being like, no, this is, this is where I'm at. And still Jesus, like still yeah. making those statements of that's still where I'm going. That's still the end goal. That's still my hope. Um, yeah. The authenticity speaks a lot. So, which we did not always have. So no, that is also no. like, no, it was definitely the beginning was like, try to live out both. Yeah, yeah. Let's be perfect outside in the super yeah. happy family and then fall apart inside. And that wasn't working very well. So <laughs> we decided that we would end that. Um, so yeah. yeah that I, and it, I mean, it sounds like you guys really got there through your own struggle together um, which, you know, learning for, for us as a team, learning for us as you know, other ministry leaders out there is how do we, how do we make sure that we're not letting guys like you, you know, young 20 somethings find themselves having to struggle through that on their own. Um, I I don't have any answers there, but like, you know, um, but I, I think that, I think that's probably a big part of, of why you ended up where you ended up is like, there is a lot of ministry expectations and leadership expectations and, you know, and all of a sudden you're in this new place and you just, we just kind of naturally fit ourselves into, um, we fit ourselves into the, to the role we're expected to. And, you know, not the extremity of missions in New York, but, you know, I know my wife and I, you know, jumping into student ministry, you know, as 20 somethings moving off to, and we, we had some of the same kind of conflicts with, with elders and leaders and, and with each other. And, um, for good or bad, my wife's a little more go with the flow. And so like, there probably wasn't as much internal conflict, but maybe that ended up bad because it took us longer to get to that point. We're like, Oh crap, we can't keep doing it this way. We've got to kind of fight for a new model that works for us as a family and not just this is what a youth minister's wife is supposed to be and this is what a youth minister is supposed to be but but how do we work together as a family to um and the, and and to feel secure in that right because that's part of it too it's like because you do have these added pressures of other people you know i know when when i first started in ministry you know you and i marsden and i were together at the same time working together you know, my wife said, look, you can't have something every week, weekend where we've got to change this calendar. Cause I don't want something every single weekend. So I had to, I had to do it, but like, I've got a buddy of mine right now who it's summertime. He's probably gone the entire summer doing something. And yeah. 
you know, there's a pressure of going, well, I've, we've got to be like those people. And, and when you start to sort of feel confident in, you know what, look, this is our family. This is how we're going to play. This is who I am. This is who you are. And feeling a sense of sort of confident in that and going, I recognize that other people may do it differently, but this is who we are and we're okay with that. And we believe we're honoring the Lord by being true to who we are as a family and who we are as people. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about you got, you've got three kids. Oldest is 10. Youngest is four now, five now. He'll three. be four. He'll be four at the end of July. Okay. So close to four. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I was like, I thought I was close to right. Yeah. yeah okay. So four at the end of July and, um, they have, uh, you know, as we said earlier, like, you know, Olivia was, was one when she moved to New York. So essentially a New Yorker, the other two are definitely born, yeah, in, one New York. Was born in Brooklyn and one in the Bronx. So. There you go. So they, uh, they are New Yorkers. They are, they are not Midwesterners. They did not grow up and have that kind of experience. Um, tell us a little bit about that. What's been, you know, what do you see for them as positives of that experience? And what have you seen that are challenges? Yeah. I, uh, I said, in the, um, before, you know, I didn't, I didn't know the, I didn't know a Muslim. And the first time I recognized the word Muslim, I associate it with September 11th. Mm. My kids do not have that word association, not only because they were born later, but because some of the first people that, you know, were, in our house, hanging out, giving them gifts, playing with them, um, were, were, were Muslim people. Uh, I remember like kind of the first time I heard a language different than Spanish or English. My children have, you know, been able to interact with numerous languages. Like you can't even, yeah, they've been the minority their entire lives, um, of, of where, we are at. Um, they have been. I, I think that I think many American children, uh, at least going back to when I was a kid, and I, I think still, you know, we kind of kind of fear um, to an extent the the other, the foreigner, the person who's very very different. Our kids, I think, to an extent, I, I would say they they don't really get to recognize that different. As much, I know I mentioned just a, a bit earlier, you know, the, the wedding that Olivia and I were at where she was on the side with the women and children. I was on the side with the men. She's only been to three other weddings, I think. One of them was a Chinese wedding that was pretty American traditional. One of them was a Midwest wedding of like our friend and then this one. And so I tried to not use the word. I was like, yeah, it's very different how they did it at this Muslim wedding. Like yeah. I've not I have not been a part of one like that. But also, like, there wasn't, she didn't walk away being like, that was the weirdest wedding I've <laughs> ever seen. Like, right. it's just different. And so I think that as far as the eyes to see the world and the opportunity to, to love people as people, I think there was a lot of unlearning kind of, um, mm. and, and I didn't grow up in a hateful house, but there was a lot of unlearning that I had to do to just see internationals as, as my neighbors and I, I think it's been really cool. Like our kids don't need to do that. We can show up at a playground and nobody speaks English and our kids still play just the same. Like, okay. Tag, yeah, you're that's it. that's not that, weird right? for them. Right. Like that's normal. Yeah. 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 It's very normal. Very normal. Um, what else? What's so, yeah. This is, um, hmm. One thing that I like notice or talk to with the older two is just, um, one of the things I think is beautiful about being a human, but doesn't always happen that much is that you like, you grow in your level of consciousness. Um, I think God has given us like this ability to become more and more conscious, but not everybody chooses that. And I look at my kids and I'm like, they're so much more conscious than I like ever could have imagined being at that age and just awake to like, they're not only awake to like these differences that people have culturally, but they're also aware of like the challenges and the privileges and the, like the ability to be an advocate for people whenever Mm. those people are persecuted or, and they've learned that of course, through our support and through the support of other people, they've also, I feel like learned that on their own because you can only do so much to like, 
shape someone, a lot of that shaping also comes from themselves and a willingness to grow like that. Yeah. And that's one of the things I am like most grateful for, for them because they will be teenagers and they will have these opportunities to make bad decisions and they will make some bad decisions, but they will be fully aware of what they're doing. Like there won't right. be like, a, is this, okay and no i don't worry about like they will know what they're doing and so i think like that's really neat to see that the experiences that they've had and the ability to travel and be in homes of all kinds of people like they're i, w- I mean they're like well-rounded children yeah, yeah. I, I will say um you know this is like a, a good and a difficult thing um like the other day, um, we, we parked, we, we have like townhouse parking. So we park in front of our houses, but they're doing some construction. So I parked on the house next door. And as we're walking, I was like, ah, holy crud. And Olivia's like, why, what's wrong? And I was like, ah, it's just, I just like stepped over like two needles on this street. You know, that's, that's mm. frustrating. Um, and she's like, why? And I was like, cause it's not normal. <laughs> it's like normal kids don't have to step over needles on the way right. to the house. She's like, really? And I was like, no, like I didn't grow up stepping over needles to get to my house. She's like, I always just watch my feet. And like, you know, that was, that was sad. <laughs> and it's like, man, like that's, that's frustrating that, that this brokenness, you know, the, my kids have, have just, because we live in a city, they see people, that are, you know, really high and shaky and erratic and they see people yelling at one another and they see people sometimes fighting and they see, you know, violence and hear gunshots and helicopters circling and like, like that is painful and it's sad and it's probably traumatic. Yeah. It is traumatic. And yet at the same time, I think that they're also, I hope, and I hope that we're doing a good job as we continue to have conversations, you know, around these things, realizing, you know, the people who live on that block that have needles on it, like they're people too. Like yeah. the guy who, you know, there was the, our neighbor who his, his son was shot. Like our neighbor is still really kind to us and he, he treats us well. And like, yes, he's also had his, conflicts or things and we've seen this guy very angry but and and i think there's just this acceptance of the of the brokenness of humanity that is painful for me as a father to kind of watch them witness and yet at the same time uh i think that through those conversations the ability to connect like man not only are those people like who who have made these bad choices ended up in these bad places not only are they still people loved by the king but they are also people that, you know, it, it just took a few decisions and they ended up to where they're at. They're not so very different than we are, mm. but we cling to one another. We cling to Christ. We cling to our greater community. And, and we choose to look on that world with love. Yeah. That's, been, um, that's been a challenge, I think, but also kind of cool. Yeah. But on the other part of that, we also don't want them to develop compassion fatigue because they're constantly seeing this. And so many people that live in the city are, they're also really used to seeing like the needles and the people who are high and the people fighting, whatever. But for them, sometimes there's like this complacency that comes because it's, it is normal here. And so I think like that balance of like, uh, it hurts us that you guys are being witness to this. And it's traumatic, but you also are growing from it. It's like, we also don't want you to think that like, this is what humans are like, made for. Like, this isn't normal for humans in general to be living mm. in this kind of devastation. Yeah. And so keeping them from walking by and not seeing people to still seeing them, but also recognizing, um, you know, their limited ability to control everything that isn't possible, uh, I think is challenging. I think that um, one thing I would I would say has probably been neat um, for them to to be a part of, you know, because of the fact that 
our our life gets to be on you know hopefully all christians lives are on mission but we get to we get to do this kind of all the time and so i think that uh like my family growing up and and i'm sure many of our listeners like we come from christian families and so we do christian stuff like at church and we pray before we eat but i think that this lifestyle that we've been able to embrace and i think that you know, GCMI would encourage everyone to kind of embrace this, this, this interweaving of, of our Christianity with, with our lives. And I think that being able to like, I can kind of, I feel like, like sit down and kind of separate, like, I'm sure that, you know, looking back at my childhood, it was like, oh yeah, this, we did this because we were Christians and we did this because we were Christians. But I hope that whenever my kids, as they continue to grow and, and be raised up, that it's just like, Oh yeah, it was all because of all because of Christ. Like there were good moments and there were bad moments, but it's not like individual events or things like this. I remember one time uh, recently, my daughter was like, "Dad, why did we not pray before we eat this one time? And then whenever you had your friend over, <laughs> did we pray?" And I was like, "Oh no, is that like hypocritical? What am I doing?" And I like sat down with her and I was like, "Well." why, why do we pray before we eat? And she's like, it's a good time to like, remember and thank God. And I was like, right. I was like, and so for, for me at that moment, like when my friend was there, like it's an extra time of like extra Thanksgiving because, and and that doesn't mean like I can't pray whenever it's just me and my daughter and we're just scarfing down our lunch, but like to be able to actually say, no, no, I don't think it was just to show off or just, yeah. it was actually because like we're celebrating the moment that we get together and we have this opportunity to be present and in this place. Um, and, and I think too, one other thing, just like if, if there's a, if there's a family considering, you know, moving, like making that similar move that we did from the Midwest to um, our kids, even though you said earlier, like, you know, they're New Yorkers and I'll say they're New Yorkers. They're not, like New Yorkers, they, they still are raised by Midwest parents. The, yeah. Whenever we step over a needle, I can look and I can say, hey, that's not normal. But there's a lot of other yeah. kids and that is always normal. And their parents are like, yeah, that's normal. Um, the way in which my kids, when we go to the playground, my kids are climbing trees. Why do they climb trees? Because I'm like, oh yeah, I climbed trees when I was a kid, go climb trees. There's hardly any of these other city kids climbing trees. <laughs> and so I think that it is, it is gonna be a weird, um, a, a, interesting transition for for a child growing up in that environment because in a way they they are not too far off from a third culture kid like the way in which i'm raising them still has a lot of midwestern roots because that's my culture and yet Uh they're exposed to not only the urban environment but the international environment um and that's that's just quite quite different so i i think it's i think it's been definitely worth it. And I'm really I'm <laughs> mostly looking forward to, to seeing, you know, how they process <laughs> a lot of later on. Like, yeah. I know it won't all be beautiful, but in another, in another decade or two, we'll check in with them and, we'll, and we'll their, their counselors and see what yeah. kind of, uh... <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, I think the, the thing that we try hard to do in each episode is go, you know, what is the the learning you can share or what is the encouragement you could give, you know, whether it's to, you know, somebody who's, uh, you know, needing to, to stretch their family and experience a little more of the world, or maybe it's somebody who is, like you mentioned, you know, considering moving, whether it's to New York or whether it's the other side of the world, like what, what is, what is the, the learning or the encouragement that you would share with them as they're, as they're pondering that? Well, I don't know if I can put this very eloquently, but I think for me, just from my own personal experience, I think one of the most important things that I wish I would have known before all of this was to like, remember who I am and find out who I am. And it's something I try to tell my kids pretty often is just like, when you're being respectful to someone else or you're honoring someone else's culture, it doesn't mean that like your culture and the things that you believe in and value are now invalidated. Mm. And it doesn't mean that you have to like become what someone else is. Like you can still be who you are, who you're made to be and partake in respecting other cultures and other people and ideas and beliefs. 
Um, and I think that it is easy to get sucked into this. Like, I know I definitely did where it's like, oh, everyone's dressing this way or everyone's talking like this or everyone's practicing Christianity like this or praying whatever it is like this. I have to be that too. And then there was a time of like coming back to myself and finding myself after having just like completely abandoned myself to like, oh, I'll just be whatever I'm supposed to be. And that did not work out. And so I think allowing yourself to be who you are and who you're supposed to be and evolving in that way um, is extremely important if you want to not like completely lose who you are and have a nervous breakdown because (laughs) you no longer recognize like the person in the mirror. It's just a bunch of like other people somehow in you now, I guess. Yeah. I would, um, I would want to, I think, encourage people, you know, we, we talk about seeing your neighbor next door, going to some of those international restaurants, like that if you have a family, like don't let that stop you at all. I I look at, I I know I use my daughter um, in much more examples because she's got to grow up in this, you know, she's now old enough where we're able to see some of the, the, the fruit of, you know, the, the life that we've offered her and and the life that she's been able to live and just thinking through, um, you know, examples of, there's a statistic that says like 75% or maybe it's even higher of like international students have never been into an American's home. Mm. And uh, if you think back, like most of us probably didn't grow up hosting international students. Yeah. Um, Like to my daughter, it's really normal to be like, Oh yeah. International, non-internet, like, come in, welcome, like be, be home, you know? And so I think that it's really a cool exposure and opportunity for her to be able to see that we do, we do disciple making movement, DBS driven type ministry. Um, it's predominantly in, in GCMI and it's been really cool to, to let my daughter like sit with some of the, the Bible study conversations that sometimes you're like, okay, ladies, let's watch out with our, how graphic we get about this or that. Cause <laughs> I don't know why, but to sit in some of that. And then like, we were a part of this house church and we we're trying to figure out like, well, what do we do with the kids? And I was like, Liv, would you like want to lead like a DBS? And it didn't end up working out that well, but she's like, yeah, let me try that. <laughs> and, and just like the fact that just my little daughter's like, yeah, we, I can lead a Bible study, like with the other kids. That'd be great. And, like that's to me, that wasn't extremely normal. I grew up with almost all Christian kids whenever my daughter comes home and she's like, is this, do you think this kid's a Christian? And I'm just like, man, that's a cool intentionality that, that she's been able to shape and develop. Um, and so I think that, you know, really allowing, not, not forcing, but I think really allowing your kids to kind of participate in this newfound desire to love the nation next door with you, I I think is really beneficial. Um, exciting and and honestly like the kid just like you is gonna learn a lot through the process so that will do it for this week's episode of the gcmi podcast a huge thanks to gabe and sarah for sharing their experiences in such an open and honest way thank you again for joining us and be sure to join us again next time as i mentioned we have shifted to a twice per month episode rhythm So be sure to subscribe and turn on your notifications so you don't miss the next episode. You can sign up through your favorite podcast app or go to globalcitymission.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon.